Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about something so important, and you have to promise us that you're going to share this episode with at least three friends before November. In this episode, we're talking about the November ballot. We're breaking down all the props and initiatives so you can make an informed decision for yourself, your family, and your community. And we're doing this with the help of the best in the business from the Arizona Republic. Joining us today are reporters Andrew Oxford, who covers the state legislature, Lily Altavena, who covers education, and Ryan Randazzo, the Republic's business and utilities reporter. Thank you guys all so much for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Okay, guys. So every November, whether you're going in person to vote or voting by mail, you get your ballot. And I think most people expect the first items like who do you want for president, who do you want for senator, for county attorney, and so on. But then you look your way down the ballot and you start seeing propositions. They're followed by numbers like Prop 123 or 301. In the most basic sense, what are those? This is Arizona's direct democracy at work, right? While the legislature can make laws, voters can too by drafting laws and petitioning to put those laws on the ballot. It's not necessarily a simple process, though. First, you have to collect a bunch of signatures. Uh, This year, anyone wanting to get an initiative on the ballot that would change state statute needed to collect 237,645 signatures from registered voters. And can you explain how they're different from a bill that is passed, for example, at the state legislature? Why don't these folks just ask their lawmakers to write a bill or two to try to avoid all the work of gathering these signatures? Yeah, it's a process used by all manner of groups on the left and the right over the years. Often when activists are frustrated that the legislature is not acting on their issue or when they've got an idea they know wouldn't pass the legislature. Uh, The legislature with a Republican majority would not raise Arizona's minimum wage, for example. So supporters of raising the minimum wage put it to a vote. This year, proponents of legalizing marijuana are hoping voters will be able will be more receptive than lawmakers who won't go for this idea. I mean, even if the legislature passed a law legalizing marijuana, you'd have to get the governor to sign it. And he doesn't support legalization. So there's another advantage to using the ballot box too. laws passed by voters are tougher to change than laws changed by or by legislators. Lawmakers can go back to the Capitol and change a law they passed. They can't necessarily change laws passed by the voters. Okay, so let's get into it then. We've got four propositions we're talking about today, two that actually made the ballot and two that did not. We have an education initiative and a recreational marijuana initiative that will be on the ballot. And we also have a criminal justice reform and health care initiatives that did not. So let's start with Prop 208. This is an education funding measure. Thanks to 208's strict accountability requirements on these voter-protected funds. Strong schools, a stronger economy, the strongest accountability. Vote yes on 208. Lily, give us a sense of what Prop 208 will do. 
Sure. Prop 208 raises about a billion a year for education, mostly to raise teacher and school support staff salaries. Some of the money would go to initiatives like the Arizona Teachers Academy, which is an effort to increase the number of new teachers in the state in a fight against the teacher shortage that has now gone gone on for years and years and years in Arizona. The measure does this by taxing the state's wealthiest earners, so it applies to individuals making over $250,000 a year, couples making $500,000 a year or more, and it's a 3.5% tax on the income above those thresholds. And this proposition had quite the momentous journey to getting on the ballot. It almost didn't make it. Why was that? Yeah, so Invest in Ed was born out of the Red Fred movement in 2018, but the Arizona Supreme Court knocked it off the ballot that year in 2018 after a legal challenge from groups that said the measure was misleading. So the group went back to the drawing board, significantly revised Invest in Ed, and came back this year. Once again, as they were expecting, it was challenged in court, and a superior court judge ruled that it was misleading. But the state Supreme Court didn't agree this time. They reversed the Superior Court judge's ruling, which stunned a lot of people. Now it's full steam ahead, and it's time for each side to appeal to voters, not judges. Okay, so now that it is on the ballot, do we have any sense of how this thing might do in front of the voters? Yeah, it's a tough call, especially this year. Polling over the past years, few years has shown that Arizonans are open to education funding taxes, but it's unclear if the appetite extends to invest in ed. And it's a tough year. The ballot will be crowded and parents are feeling pretty overwhelmed by pandemic education. So in one sense, maybe they'll have more appreciation for teachers. I've also heard from parents who are frustrated by the new normal and are a little resentful, especially of the teachers who want to keep school closed through the pandemic. So, some of those teach some of those parents might be us, but um, how, can you give us a sense of how this proposition would fundamentally kind of alter the landscape of education funding in Arizona? And then, who is for this and who's against this, just broadly? Yeah, it could be a huge shift. Um, you know, Governor Ducey had his twenty by twenty twenty plan, which raised some teacher salaries by 20% this year, but but not for everybody. This would increase teacher salaries by a lot. It, it's not known how much, but it would be big and it could help the teacher shortage. So, you know, proponents who are a lot of educators and a lot of education-backed group and progressive groups, you know, say it would raise teacher salaries enough so that our teacher shortage wouldn't be as significant. And right now, especially in the pandemic, the teacher shortage is a big problem. Um, so for this, you know, a lot of uh, progressive groups, the Arizona Education Association, which is a teacher's union, um, Against it, you know, Governor Doug Ducey has said he is not supportive of any new taxes. So ostensibly that applies to invest in ed. The Arizona Chamber is not for this and has created a committee to oppose this group. So a lot of the, you know, anti-Prop 208 stuff you're going to see is backed by the Arizona Chamber um, and different business groups. It's going to be really interesting to see what voters ultimately decide. Okay. Well, thank you, Lily. Uh, where can people follow your coverage on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at Lily Alta, L-I-L-Y-A-L-T-A. Thanks so much. 
Okay, Ryan, let's turn to you. Everyone's favorite measure on the ballot, or so it seems, recreational marijuana. Where does this issue stand at this point? So Proposition 207 is going to be on the ballot. It would allow adults to have as much as an ounce of marijuana, uh, and it would set up a licensing system where the businesses that are currently licensed to sell medical marijuana would be the first to get licenses to sell straight up just for fun marijuana. Um, Plus, there would be some additional licenses for stores that they would set aside for communities of people who have traditionally been disenfranchised by marijuana laws. The uh, measure also would allow people who have convictions for marijuana possession that would now be legal uh, uh, under the the change regime to get that record expunged. Okay, so we know supporters of this measure have tried multiple times in the past to get something like this passed. It seems like they've always been controversial and met by opposition. Um, Talk to us about the, the... effort this time to get this on the ballot? Is there a sense of whether this is going to pass? And has public sentiment just kind of moved on this issue? Well, the opposition is uh, less intense than it was four years ago. You don't have as many of the big uh, players donating. That said, there still is an opposition group um, that's formed. It's called Arizonans for Health and Public Safety. It gets funding from the Center for Arizona Policy. Um, they're well known down at the Capitol. They uh, filed the legal challenge to the initiative with former Congressman John Shadig serving as their lawyer. Um, obviously, those challenges were unsuccessful, but what they did is they tried to challenge the language that was given to people when they signed these petitions. And they argued everything, that it didn't explain what marijuana was, that it didn't explain how marijuana would be taxed, um, that the possession laws would change, et cetera, et cetera. They made nine arguments uh, in total on what they thought was wrong with the description of the ballot measure. Um, Judge James Smith rejected all of those arguments in pretty harsh words. Basically, he said the opponents were not making a legal argument, but they were upset that their personal beliefs were not reflected in the summary language. And he said that's not necessary, you know, that they don't need to share the opposition opinion when getting people to sign uh, the petitions. So, for example, this measure would tax cannabis just like regular retail sales. Um, So the state puts about a five and a half percent sales tax um, and then the cities add on top of that. So in most cities, you already pay eight to 11 percent of sales tax. This measure adds 16 percent on top of that. So marijuana would have a tax of as high as 27 percent in some cities. The opponents tried to argue that the summary should have explained that the taxing on that could not be changed without a three-quarter vote of the legislature. Um, well, that's true for every ballot measure. And, and and the judge was pretty harsh when he dismissed that, saying that, the, you know, all ballot measures uh, are voter protected. And this is also a little bit noteworthy for people who follow this issue over the years because we have voter protections in Arizona because of the medical marijuana issue. Voters approved that in 1996, and then the legislature basically eliminated it the next year. And that's why uh, ballot measures have a voter protection. So here we are all these years later, and we have had a version of the legalization of marijuana off and on over the past 
many years. It seems to me that outside of the courtroom, we really haven't heard much about why high-profile opponents uh, think that this is a bad idea. I mean, do you have a sense of what this campaign if there is going to be one, might look like heading into November? What can our listeners expect to hear from from surrogates of both the pro-campaign and the anti-campaign? Well, the the pro-campaign has made a lot of concessions in here to different groups, um, mostly to people who somewhat favor marijuana legalization or are ambivalent about it and and tried to bring them on board. So it does have that 16% excise tax, that is sliced and diced 15 different ways, you know, to help community colleges and public safety and DHS to implement the law. And um, there's these social justice licenses. So um, one of the big knocks on this is it's being funded by the big medical marijuana dispensaries. And, and some people don't like the idea that we've really set up this system where there's some there's the haves and have nots. You know, there's people making millions of dollars off medical marijuana and they're going to be the first ones to be able to sell recreational marijuana. So as a concession, they have these additional licenses that would go to new entrepreneurs who want to get into this business. Um, and, the, and the opposition last time around, as, as you know, because you covered it, was, was large businesses not wanting a workforce that they had to worry was, was going to be using marijuana um, and, and folks who are concerned about traffic accidents and driving under the influence and those sorts of things. And that's all what you're going to see in the opposition, I believe. When you read the opposition statements that are already available at the Secretary of State, it's a lot of concern over impaired driving and children having increased access. If there's uh, legalized recreational use, this stuff would be more abundant, obviously, and, and kids could get a hold of it. And what does that do if, if uh, young people have easier access to, to marijuana? Um I think the pro side is simply going to argue, well, they already have that access, uh, except for it's illegal and, and the people making money off of it are criminals, not um, licensed business business owners. So I expect this one's going to ramp up and be just as intense of a fight, even if there's not as much money uh, behind the opposition this time, because the arguments are pretty impassioned when, when you're talking about kids and, and fatal driving accidents and that kind of thing. Do you have a sense of uh, what public sentiment in Arizona seems to be on this issue? Nationally, it seems as though uh, folks are willing to move towards some sort of legalization model as long as it's enforced and done responsibly. Yeah, well, you're right. Nationally, the trend is definitely towards legalization. People uh, increasingly support that. Arizona lags that a little bit, but the people supporting this measure seem to be pretty comfortable that voters here are ready um, to approve this, that the additional tax money, even though they might not have high hopes for it, it certainly couldn't hurt to have additional tax revenue at this point. Um, So, uh, again, I just think it's going to be just as intense of a fight. Just we're not going to see as many advertisements as we did last time around. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan, so much, as always, for joining us. Where can listeners find you on Twitter to keep up with your coverage? I am at Utility Reporter. All right. So moving on to healthcare, we've had proposals related to education and marijuana. You obviously are going to see a lot about those issues um, on your 
radio stations that you listen to or on the internet, YouTube, and on uh, TV. It's also worth noting what you will not see on your ballot here in Arizona this election cycle. Andrew, you've covered a couple of measures that just didn't make the cut. Can you give us a sense of what those are? Yeah, so there were four measures that were filed. Proponents said they had all the signatures they needed, but only two actually are going to make it. And one of the measures I've been watching that is not going to make it uh, is about healthcare. It was backed by a labor union that represents healthcare workers, and it would have done all kinds of things. It would have curbed a medical industry practice called surprise billing. It would have included some protections for insurance customers with pre-existing conditions. And it would have given raises to many healthcare workers. It, you know, you would you might expect that last part to actually be pretty popular, you know, in the year of the coronavirus, right? And the healthcare workers really, you know, have been you know, kind of heroes to a lot of people this year. Okay, so why did that get dismissed then? Well, as you can imagine, uh, it also drew a lot of opposition from you know hospital companies, for example, and they went all out against this one, arguing there were all manner of problems with the proposal. A judge agreed with a few of those arguments. For one thing, she said the 100-word description of the uh, of the measure, which is included on petitions, she said it was misleading. The description said it would raise minimum wages for frontline healthcare workers, for example, but it would have given a raise to a broad category of healthcare workers, not just the lowest paid. The judge said that's not just a minimum wage increase, right? You could argue that's sort of semantic, but that's what the debates over these proposals often come down to in court, right? The courts also tossed out a pile of signatures collected by supporters. In some cases, because the people who collected the signatures were asked to show up at court and confirm they collected those signatures. Some of those folks didn't show up, and the signatures they collected were disqualified. Again, it's one of those seemingly technical things, but it can make a big difference in cases like this. Do you think the Healthcare Rising Arizona group will try again sometime down the road to to try to get uh, this measure on the ballot? Maybe in some form. You know, you've seen attempts at similar proposals in the past, so this certainly, you know, doesn't seem like a one-off, right? Okay, so let's move on um, to a, a second measure that you've kept an eye on this season. Uh, this dealing with criminal justice reform, it will not be on the ballot. Andrew, tell us about this one and, and why it didn't make it. Yeah, the Second Chances Rehabilitation and Public Safety Act would have allowed some people serving sentences in prison to get out earlier based on good behavior and participation in education and rehabilitation programs. Uh, if they qualify, they could be released after serving half their sentence behind bars. Um, proponents said that, you know, this was a fairly uh, mild sort of sentencing reform. They said it wouldn't apply to you know people who'd committed perhaps some of the most heinous crimes, for example. But ultimately, election officials said that not enough of the signatures were valid for it to qualify for a place on the ballot. So, Andrew, give us a sense of who the supporters and the opponents of this measure were and what were the arguments in this yeah, the proponents were an unlikely group. You had conservatives who support sentencing reform from a sort of limited government perspective and some from a religious perspective, too. You also have those on the left who see it as a civil rights issue and a matter of racial justice. Uh, they met opposition from prosecutors. Former Assistant Attorney General Steve Twist, who worked on the state's stricter sentencing laws, 
He worked to oppose the bill. Outgoing Pima County attorney Barbara LaWall was part of a legal challenge to the initiatives. And backers say she was really key in stopping it. I mean, I guess you could say the opposition to the measure was bipartisan too, right? LaWall was a Democrat. And uh, they argued that the measure would have been too broad, would have uh, affected too many people, and that the ballot box isn't really the way to to try and uh, you know, tweak sentencing laws, right? What do we know about whether the supporters will try to get this measure on any sort of future ballot? Sentencing reform is definitely here to stay as an issue. You know, the question is how advocates think they can best accomplish it. And like I said, there is bipartisan interest, you know, uh, both from that perspective that the state is locking up too many people, it's too expensive, it's it's you know not productive, and from that perspective of you know, racial justice, social justice. Uh, so there has been some support for it at the legislature, uh, but whether they ultimately move on it, it's hard to say. That's kind of what took advocates to the ballot box in the first place, right? All right, Andrew, as always, we will continue to follow your reporting. Thanks so much. Where can people keep up with you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Andrew B. Oxford. Okay, listeners, let's get to afterthoughts. Yvonne, um, knowing what we know now about these two measures that will be on the ballot and also the two measures that won't be, um, what what you know strikes you about how this might impact the way people vote in November? I certainly think that the education and the marijuana initiatives are going to uh, really goose um, turnout especially among Democrats, maybe more progressive types who haven't participated in the election process in previous years. Certainly the education issue, I mean, against the backdrop of a deadly pandemic, we're all at home with our kids. Education, um, more probably than even in 2018 and in previous cycles where Folks have really uh, talked intensely about education funding as a as a big issue. I think it's going to resonate this year more than ever. And whether or not, uh, you know, opponents can make a strong case that, you know, the wealthy shouldn't be taxed or treated any differently, I think remains to be seen. I think they will put up a big fight. But when it comes to voter turnout, I think we'll we'll see uh, high numbers. And I wouldn't be surprised if this thing, you know, passed by a narrow margin. The same, I think, could be said of the marijuana issue. We've debated this thing since 1996, as Randazzo talked about. Uh, the last effort uh, in 2016 failed narrowly. And I just think public, you know, sentiments are really shifting towards a legalized um uh, set up. Uh, I think the medical marijuana program has shown to a lot of people largely that this is an industry that can be regulated. And if people are out there, you know, using marijuana anyways, you might as well make money off of it. I do think Sheila Polk and Kathy Herod and some of these folks that we saw put up uh, a very fervent and strong fight, the governor, um, you know, back in 2016, they're going to start to probably become a lot more vocal about this. They're going to be talking about it in their churches and um, in campaign stops, both virtually and in person, um, as we barrel towards Election Day. And, you know, I think that they, too, will put up a fight based on 
what Ryan talked about the, you know, the potential harm to kids, the potential impairment behind the wheel, the potential problems that small business owners and large corporations will be confronted with if they have part of a workforce that, you know, could have THC in their system when they go to work. And then just on the morality issue, right? Your body's your temple, treat it as such. Is this really something we as a society want to condone. So I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how the arguments shape up uh, through November and certainly keep watching um, our reporters' coverage as as this cycle comes to a close. And that is it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley with oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much, as always, for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.